I just wanted to give you an understanding of what happens in a person's soul. And there's always, there's something I always read and understand from the word that is important for us to have. And it's in Acts chapter 26. And if you'll turn there, I'll show you how you identify with those who are called of God and identify with conversion and what happens in, in, in a person when they are truly converted by the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Paul is sharing his testimony here, and that's what I'm going to do today, is share my testimony about how God healed me from mental illness. And so Paul, in chapter 26, in, uh, let me see, In verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. So he says that his manner of life is well known among his people. He said, Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judge for the hope of the promise made unto God of our fathers, Made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible to you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So how many of us can identify with that? Before we met Christ, we did many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Paul even more so because he felt that he was serving God by persecuting the people who followed Christ. He says, which thing I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief of priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punish them often in every synagogue and compel them to blaspheme. In other words, Paul was so bad he could make you renounce Jesus. Huh? Isn't that what he says here? He compelled them. He made them say that they didn't want to follow Christ anymore. So he was a bad operator right there. <laughs> they didn't come any worse than he. And he says, even by his own confession, he said, I was the chiefest of sinners. Hmm? Now, it's, uh, to some of us, we don't feel our sin is so bad, but I can say I was the chiefest of sinners huh, before I met the Lord. Simply because we don't know any better. You don't know God. You aren't born of God. And so what do you do besides sin? So there's no worse sinner than the one you're looking at in the mirror most of the time. And he says, <clears throat> verse 12, He said, no, verse 11, he said, I compel them to blaspheme and being exceeding mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So if Paul knew you were a follower of Christ, if you left town, he went after you and brought you back. He was worse than Dog the Bounty Hunter. (laughs) Tell me about it. So he was a bad boy. He was the one, the Bible says, that when Stephen was stoned, stoned, he held everybody's coats while they stoned him to death. Now, when you stoned somebody in those days, you didn't pick up a little rock and throw it. You took a boulder and slammed it down on their heads. 
That's how they were stoned to death. You understand what I'm saying? He says, whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. Now, we talked about who that is already. Yep, that's right. It's a day star, the one that shines brighter than the sun. That's Jesus. And so he says, that light shone above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. So he was imprisoned by Jesus, by the light of Christ. Held you captive. Huh? And he says, and we were, when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue. Now, how many of you know God can supernaturally do anything he wants to? But Jesus, when he walked, how many of you know, who knows what language he spoke? Aramaic, he did not speak Hebrew, okay? But he, Jesus spoke in a tongue other than what he spoke in a normal language, and Paul still knew it was him. See what I'm saying? What does the Bible say? My sheep know my voice, not my language, my voice, and another they will not follow. See, the voice of the Lord can come to you in many different ways, but you know when God's talking to you. You belong to God or you called to belong to God. Paul knew it was him. And he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. <laughs> you know, that's how they make horses run. Those spurs, they prick them in the side. And a horse will try to kick himself out of and take off running. That's how they keep them running and get them moving. It's like putting a key in a car engine. So it's hard for them to kick against the pricks. So they have to try to outrun the pricks. So that's what Paul was doing. God was just pricking him, spurring him, making him go the extra mile. Say, okay, you want to persecute my people, persecute. But I will contend with those who contend with my people. God will fight with those who fight with us. This is why you don't have to, listen, don't waste your time arguing your point, striving with anybody, trying to be right. I tell you guys that all the time. God will vindicate you. All you have to do is speak truth or sometimes just shut up and let God speak to people for you. And he says, when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice. He said that. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, he called him Lord before he even knew who he was for sure. He says, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, not to condemn you, not to send you to hell, not to put you behind bars like you did to the people. See? But Jesus comes not to to condemn the world, but to save the world. See, this is why it's so important for us to preach the gospel and offer the salvation to people. Sometimes they've never heard it before. Believe it or not, sometimes they have never heard it. So Jesus comes to seek and save that which was lost. You know, his first dealings with us is not to get even with us for all the bad we've done. You understand? Praise God for that. He comes to wash away our sins and convert us and invite us into a new life. 
See, living in persecution will take care of all of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of that will happen in its degree that's due for everybody. Because the Bible says that God is not mocked whatever we sow will reap. You know, you don't get out from under, you know, the things that you do in life. You just, it just it's, it's there to teach us the right way. You see what I'm saying? And so as long as we learn the right way and we obey God, we don't have any problem out of him. And he says, I am Jesus whom you persecuted, but rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister. That'll fix you, Paul. <laughs> huh? That's a tough life, buddy, back in them days. Because he would have to meet some of the same kind of people that were like him. Hmm? Sometimes the best revenge is to make that person somebody they hate. <laughs> Just the thought. <laughs> you know, sometimes you see people who are serving God. Oh, I don't know how they do that. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> the best revenge God can get sometimes is compelling you to do the exact same thing that they do. Huh? Louder, stronger. <laughs> Just a thought. Be careful what you despise. You may wind up having to be that. He says, I'm for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send you. So really, Paul is getting a promise here that he won't get it like he's been given it. Jesus promised to deliver him from the people and let him keep going so that he can carry his word. Because this man has been called to serve God but misguided, misdirected, and not understanding the love and the grace of God. And this is our story many times, even after we're saved. Misguided, misdirected, and misunderstanding the love of God. And God still wants to work with us. He still called us to serve him. He still called us to minister the gospel to every creature, every single person that we can. He's called us to do that. And he says he will deliver us from the, him from the Gentiles unto whom I now send you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Not get involved in darkness with them. Mm-hmm. We are converters. We convert them, they don't convert us back to the old ways, huh? So this is our quest to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. So every contact that you have with somebody should bring them closer to God, not further away. I mean in a good way. I don't mean they run to God because they're sick of you. <laughs> but if that's the best you can manage, you know what I'm saying? At least they get there. But you understand what I'm saying. We're to turn people to God, turn them on to God, and let Him have glory. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among which them are sanctified by faith that is in me. So, what Paul has been done, Jesus has explained to Paul that he is called to a heavenly calling. He's called a high calling. Paul, no matter what you've been doing up to this time, 
Maybe you think it's great, but I don't. I want you to put that down, and from here on in, you work for me. You do what I tell you to do. And there has to be this, this, this happening in everybody's life, this happening where you come face to face with the living God. There must be this encounter with God if you're going to be really born again. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to have that. You've got to have an understanding of what you're here for, what you're doing, and why you're doing it. You personally. Not you because you belong to a certain group or a certain church or something like that. But you must have a personal encounter with God where he tells you what the heavenly vision is for your life. See, there are those of us who have dreams and plans and all that kind of stuff in an earthly realm for our earthly lives. But you've got to know what the heavenly vision is for your life. Everybody does. God owns you. He put you here for a purpose. You've got to check in and find out what that's about. And he says here in verse 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision so once he saw heaven open up and jesus speak to him and explain to him what he wants him to do he says i became obedient to god from that day forward and he did some kind of unusual things he went first from to damascus and jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of judea to the Gentiles and preach that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. It's got to be part of your life, folks. If you're a child of God, that's got to be part of your life. I can tell you that if you don't do that, you're going to get in some kind of trouble. You know, you, your, your life will be not, not very pleasant. You waste a lot of your precious time on the earth. Not doing much of anything, you'll be bored, depressed, listless. You need to get on your face before God and say, God, I don't want to be disobedient to the heavenly vision. I want to obey what you put me here to do. I want to be a light in the world. I want to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. I want to do that. And if you can make your own personal arrangement with God, just like Paul did here, If you can talk to him and get an understanding of what he's called you as an individual to do, then you can have the success and even more so that Paul had. You'll have everything that God has for you and more. Because he will raise you up to be everything that he has put into you. You'll never know most of what you're here for until you fall in line with God's plan for you. You've got to understand the heavenly vision and fall in line with it. And so he says, he told them to repent and turn to God, do works meet for repentance. Same thing John the Baptist preached. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Hmm. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. So Jesus did what he told him he was going to do. He was going to deliver him from his enemies. Until his life here was done, until his work and his mission was fulfilled. And that's the same promise he has for each and every one of us. So he says, I continue to this day witnessing both to small and great. Hmm? That's to whosoever's. Saying, none other 
none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, should show light to the people, to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has made you crazy. And that's the report you should, they should have about you. Huh? You are beside yourself in God. And you really are. The Bible says the anointing will turn you into another person. So you get beside yourself that you used to be and just let God flow through you. Huh? And so Paul then talked about his conversion in a way that I think a lot of times God gives us a pattern to speak of. And talk about the point that you were converted and when you found Christ and how that happened. But there are some key things that happen in everybody's conversion that have to be noted so that you can continue on in the life that God has for you. So I'm just going to start sharing some things that God had me share about how Jesus healed me. When I was about, I would say, four or five years old, I remember having a dream, and I don't remember what the dream was about. But I do remember the impression that the dream left with me. And I felt that I would have an unusual life and God would be a part of it. And that's what I I think I remember telling my older sister that. And I told her, I said, you know, God's going to do something special with me. I just feel like it. And it's going to, you know, of course you tell your siblings that kind of stuff and they think you're crazy. Of course. And so, but that's how the call of God sometimes will come to a person. It will come while you are a sinner, and it will come, but you will have an understanding that your life will not be a normal life. It will be a different life, it will be a unique life, and it will be an unusual life. And God will have some part in it. And so that kind of understanding of what I was called to do went away for many years. Now, just because God calls you when you're five years old, it doesn't mean you can do it right then. It can mean that if you've got parents who know God and you've got parents who will, will share those things with you. But my household was not like that. My parents knew of the Lord, but they didn't walk with God. They didn't go to church consistently. They would send us from time to time. And so much of my young life was spent either going to church sporadically going to dead denominational churches, um, having that dread when it was time to go to church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You didn't look forward to it. And you didn't look forward to it because you weren't born again. And there was no fellowship with God. There was no kinship with God. A lot of those churches were religious, and they told you that God didn't like you. You thought God was mean. You thought God was cruel, and you thought he was out to get you. So you didn't grow up being a friend of God. And so I can remember, though, when we went to a Catholic school, that we had to go to Mass every day before we went to school. And I remembered how rigid that was and how hard it was. And I always had the impression that if God was real and he wanted something to do with my life, that it wasn't going to be pleasant for me. And so I didn't look forward to it, avoided it like most people do. I remember going to church and around Easter time, they would have uh, that thing they call the way of the cross. And you would look at the different pictures of Jesus' crucifixion. 
and you would stare at that. And I remember thinking to myself, I just feel so sorry for him. Why did they pick on him? And I thought Jesus was more of a victim than he was a savior. And so a lot of that had to do, a lot of the impressions that I had of God growing up had to do with the fact that I didn't want any part of that. And I just wanted to avoid him and I didn't want to get involved with God at all. It didn't seem appealing to me. But yet something inside me kept drawing me to things related to the spirit. And so when I got to be an adult, I started reading things having to do with your horoscope and having to do with with what we would call new age spiritual things. And I felt like there was a lot of truth in some of that stuff. And I thought that was interesting, but I always did everything on like an intellectual basis. And so that if it didn't tease my intellect or interest me that way, I didn't think there was much interest in it. And I was always trying to do something to improve myself for the better. So I always looked for opportunities to, you know, do more with my education and do more self-improvement and all those kinds of things. Mainly because I really didn't like my upbringing very much. We didn't have many material things. Uh, My parents fought a lot. They argued quite a bit. Uh, There was a lot of strife in between them. And it was a very, very hard upbringing as far as feeling secure and that kind of stuff. So security was what I was looking for in my life. And I felt like if I could finish school and get an education, then I would be secure. And so I got an education, and along the way I met uh, Aubrey, who you all know. And we got married after struggling about whether we should get married or not, like young people do sometimes outside of God. We lived together for probably about a year before we got married, which was wrong. And I knew it was wrong when I did it because I had enough exposure to God as a kid to know it's wrong. But you know you can know things are wrong and you can let your conscience get seared. You know, you tell yourself everybody does it. And you tell yourself it's not that bad. You tell yourself you see it on TV and you tell yourself it's common and you tell yourself. So you begin to explain away a lot of things that you should reject and you should fall on your face and you should ask God how you're going to live and honor him and honor these values and so forth and still feel good about yourself. And so I say this to explain to you that over the years, the sin that you do begins to pile up on your soul. And this is really what damages our soul. It's not, it's not so much how other people treat us. But it's the sin that comes in and weighs heavy on your soul. Whether it's the sin you do uh, against yourself or the sin you do against somebody else, it is sin that is that burdens us and causes us not to feel good about ourselves, to cause us to feel worthless and not worthwhile. All of those things will pile up. I don't care what kind of sin you do. I don't care if it's just spending too much money at the at the dress shop or if it's fighting people. I don't care if you murdered somebody. Sin is a burden to your soul. And see, each and every one of us is different in the way we can handle burdens. You find some people, they can have five disasters in their life at one time and still be on their feet 
<laughs> I'm talking sinners sometimes, you know. You can have a zillion things going wrong. Somebody like Donald Trump can lose $20 million in a day and still go out aggressively seeking. You know, he's still on his feet, so to speak. And you'll take somebody <clears throat> who maybe has, um, say, a sick child can wreck a whole family. You'll see the parents divorce, everybody go their separate ways because that pressure of handling the burden that that child brings in. Not that that child is a sin, but the illness is a result of sin. And that burden comes in and people don't know how to get out from under the pressure of it. And so I tell you that just to get you to understand why God commands us to love one another and forgive one another. Because love and forgiveness are what lighten burdens off people and lift things off of people. For instance, if, if I've said something to Clydell I shouldn't say and, and I go back to her later, I say, you know, Clydell, I'm sorry, and I didn't mean that. She, she might have forgiven me already, but I feel better because I've gotten it off of me. And then she feels better because she knows there's nothing between us and we can go to each other and, and just go ahead and do what we need to do. And so this is why the command to love comes in us so strong when we belong to God. Is because that's really what's been missing from every human life that ever was. And it's the love of God and it's the love that is unconditional. And it's the love that keeps loving no matter what the object of your love does. Just keeps loving. Because we're trained to do that by the Spirit of God. Our spirits are trained to do that. And see, outside of that, there are nothing but burdens. And so my husband and I were married about seven years and we had just bought a, a house. We owned a, a house that we rented. It was a two-family house. And we were prospering and doing well. We had bought an apartment condominium. And a lot of small things, it seemed, added up to put pressure on our marriage. And we didn't seem to be as happy with each other as we once were. And we didn't seem to uh, be as as eager to help one another. We just kind of pushed each other away a lot and got in our separate corners. And one day I asked him, I said, well, what was, what's wrong? I said, do you, do you want a divorce? And he said, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Real eager. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, the nerve. You see what I'm saying? And at first, I didn't really take it that seriously. Because, see, in my mind, divorce was something that happened to other people. Because it was real bad and, you know, I didn't know what could happen, that you'd have to do that. But I thought it wasn't that bad. That's the way my mind always thought. I said, well, whatever it is that's bugging him, I know we'll work it out. But he persisted with that attitude. And I couldn't understand why he wouldn't change his mind about it. And then later on, God began to show me that he had embraced divorce as a friend because he'd been divorced before. You see what I'm saying? So that was kind of like nothing to him. It was something that he, it was kind of like his safety net for this marriage in case anything. That's why I tell folks, you know, it's your enemy. Make up your mind. It's always your enemy and it's never your friend. Because if you make something a friend that should be an enemy, you'll embrace the wrong thing one day. You won't know the difference. Your mind won't know the difference. And so as we kind of, began to talk about things, 
I began to realize that he had set a set way of dealing with things and it was almost impossible for me to change his mind. You know, you couldn't reason with him in certain areas. And I never noticed it before. And I think it was because when things are going well, you don't notice you have differences that maybe could work to major differences. And I know that there were certain things he would say where I would say, well, why doesn't he just change the way he thinks, you know, and we can get along. And I'm sure he said the same thing about me. If I would change the way I thought, he could get along with me. And so when you start to have that kind of strife, you meet an impasse. And if somebody doesn't come along and build a bridge for you, you will never become one the way God wants you to become one when you're married. So understand this. When you have God, the word is always the final answer. It's always the final answer. But until God comes in there, you can be very adamant about something and think you're 100% right and 100% justified. And if it doesn't help to preserve the relationship, you are wrong. Whatever is right is what works to preserve the relationship. Because covenant is, is something that God holds in very high esteem. The Bible says that God keeps covenant and mercy from generation to generation. And so when you have a covenant, you are operating more in the realm of God than you ever will. I don't care if you're a sinner married. When you have a marriage covenant, you are operating more like God would operate than you ever will in any other relationship in your life. Because God holds it in very high esteem. He says marriage is honorable. So it's held in very high honor in God's eyes and in the world's eyes. You notice that when you're married, you can get credit, you can get schmetted, you can get almost anything you want. Because people trust you, they consider you stable and solid. So there, there, there is an honor that comes there. And see, I know the enemy will try everything he can to dishonor marriage and God and the people who want to uphold it. So I found that because I was wanting to stay married, I was almost by myself. See what I'm saying? You don't get many friends when you don't want to um, go on with your life. Let's go our separate ways. Let me get on with my life. See what I'm saying? Well, your life is tied up in a vow to that person. huh? And, you know, what's wrong with people? who will walk away from it is that they don't appreciate what they have in that commitment. See, People don't appreciate commitment enough to understand that it's worth it to weather whatever storm you have to weather in order to keep the covenant. And see, this is where the Lord treats us. He will weather whatever storm he has to weather to keep covenant with us. That's why he can say, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he expects us to, re- to respond to one another in the same way when there's a marriage covenant. It's, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never give what belongs to you to another human being on this earth. It belongs to you exclusively alone by yourself. And see, the devil hates that kind of commitment because he hates the strength that comes to people Together and in God when you honor what God honors. He hates it. 
And he'll do anything he can to destroy it. And so when he began to work at destroying my marriage, I thought I was going along okay and handling things okay until I would get to work and I would start to feel like the walls were closing in. Now, when I was a kid, I used to have panic attacks. And I think I talked about that in some teachings I did a long time ago. You know, I talk about I was having my child, I call them childhood hot flashes. <laughs> you know? I said, women my age get upset about them. I said, I've been having since I was about three that I remember. But I would almost like come out of my body. I would have anxiety to that degree. And I didn't know what the problem was or why it was. But it would happen in different situations. And when I was about, I would say, five years old, my girlfriend's father molested me. He touched me. And that made me very phobic of being alone with people and very fearful of of being hurt by people and that kind of thing. And so when I would get into situations where I was anxious, extremely anxious, I would just, my brain would evaporate somewhere and I would be out and then come back later and be normal. You see what I'm saying? Anxiety does people like that. You know, you'll have that kind of stuff. And so for some reason, when my marriage started to go sour, I had the same kinds of reactions where I would have, I would get to the point where I couldn't breathe and I had to leave work and, you know, a lot of things like that. And I had worked in psychiatry, which makes it twice as bad. So I knew something was terribly wrong. Because I had really thought to myself, well, if this marriage is over, I'll lose 10 pounds, dye my hair, (laughs) go to Texas, and be somebody else. Because you try to preserve your life as you know it. And to me, it was an embarrassment, and it was uh, um, a rejection. And I thought if I could... Keep it together and stay alive. This is how. This is what I wanted to do. And many people have those ideas. I thank God that they didn't take. You understand what I'm saying? Because going to Texas and changing my hair probably wouldn't have gotten me here. You see what I'm saying? And so I was struck by the same light, brighter than the sun, <laughs> huh? that Paul was hit by. Anytime you've got plans to go further into sin and you get stopped by God, I don't care what happens to you. You've been hit by the bright light. See what I'm saying? And so God began to deal with me and to show me that he would help me, but I would have to turn my life over to him. And I, at that time, I was working. Um, I had my own hair business. I, I had done a zillion things. Okay. Because I was like that. I don't know why. That's just the way I was. Okay. I don't want to blame it on anything. Uh, PMS, SOS, RD, DNA. What, what, are they, what else do they have? What kind of initials else they have? LD. What's the other one? ADD. I didn't add. I didn't subtract. I didn't do nothing. I was just that way. Huh? And, and sometimes, just let me give you this, sometimes being unsettled and restless can be a sign of you're not doing what God told you to do. Huh? And I dreaded not being able to find interest in what I was doing. And so I changed 
jobs and careers a lot. I didn't just change jobs. I went back to school and started all over again many times. I just changed everything. You understand what I'm saying? Trying to find something that I could find comfort and can find pleasure in. And, and I just did that a lot. It made people wonder about me sometimes, too. You know, unstable, doesn't like anything, doesn't like to stay put. You know, you get a reputation after a while. You do enough changing. But I know now that it was God calling me to himself by calling me away from things that I was doing. And so I had started doing hair, and we were in a a shop that I kind of liked. You know, it wasn't like these Beverly Hills people. I look at us looking at this show, this guy, uh, Jonathan. Uh, you know, uh, what was it, VH1, I think it was on, something like that. Somebody's supposed to be looking at. But $125 for a haircut? I would kill for that kind of money. You know, it's like, God, come on. <laughs> Here we're living off the offering and faith and praying for everything, and he's getting 125 bucks a whop for a haircut. And so I was there, and, and I remembered something that I overheard while I was working there. And months before I started having these panic attacks, I remember listening to a woman who would come in and give what she called her testimony. And one of the girls that worked there, she was a hairdresser. She did this lady's hair. And the hairdresser liked to hear the woman's testimony that she wasn't saved but she just liked to hear her tell it and so the girl's name was Rosalind. Rosalind was a fabulous stylist she she would work like 18 hours a day almost if you let her and she had customers lined up back to back wall to wall they were all either dope smokers or you know soul clothes hot or something crazy like that and she gets this one customer that's a Christian that wants to share her testimony. So here Rosalind's got all the dope smokers sitting there in line waiting. And she says, girl, y'all going to like this. Y'all get Jerry. You know what? Jerry, girl, tell, your te- get, tell that thing like you. Tell, tell, tell them like, but listen to this. Y'all going to like this. Listen to this. Listen. And she stands there and she says, now wait a minute. Tell that part. Now go back. You didn't tell it like you did the last time. You see. So Jerry was kind of like the entertainment. But she was humble, and she always shared. She saw it as an open door to share Christ. Ready? And I remember listening to her, and she said such horrendous things about herself, and I think, I wouldn't tell nobody that. I said, why would she say that? And then she would say, and God saved me. And I thought, she needed saving. You know, I said, dang, all the stuff she was doing, I ain't that bad. You know, you always think that to yourself. Little did I know that that seed was being planted to be brought up at the right time. You see, when God has a vision for your life, and he sets you in this earth to accomplish for him, he orders all of your steps this is why i tell people it is so important to share what christ has done for you every opportunity you get 
because you don't know who's on the other side of the curtain. You don't know who's behind the door in the ladies' room. You don't know who's sitting behind you on the bus. You don't know who is there that will need to know it and what God has put them on this earth to do. And so as she began to share, I just would listen and I could understand that somehow God was involved in this woman's life. And the more I started to have symptoms and the more I, my mind began to deteriorate, I got to the point where I couldn't sleep very well. I got to the point where eating was a chore, if you can believe that. I lost about 15, 20, 25 pounds. It was nothing for me to lose like in a month. And so when I began to, my mind began to deteriorate like that, I, that would always come back to my mind. I said, that lady said something about being saved. And I thought, what is it that she got? I couldn't understand what she got from God that saved her. And so I started to go to bookstores and look for religious books that would mention something about being saved. And I couldn't find anything. And I remember that I had worked with an aunt of mine who I used to help her out with all her little church programs and everything. She was a Baptist lady. And she would always tell me stuff like, baby, I'm praying for you. Read your Bible. You got to read your Bible. Now, it's interesting, but she didn't understand how to witness. But she knew the Lord. And she had said something to me about salvation, and so I decided to call her and ask her if she knew how I could get saved. And she told me. But she said it in such a matter-of-fact way, she almost made it seem like it wasn't that important. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes if you've been saved too long, you understand what I'm saying? And I don't know how that is because I've been saved a while now. But sometimes you might think that what the person is seeking for is not as important. You know what I'm saying? That's why I say a lot of times when God first saves you and you start running for God, that's the time to burn hell up. You understand what I'm saying? Just run as fast as you can while you have the unction to run. Because the devil has a way of slowing everybody down. And so what I did was I remembered another customer that I had who was married to a minister. And I called her and I asked her if she knew how I could be saved. See, now people are thinking I'm out of my mind for real. Which I am, but it's no big deal now. And so I'm asking all of these people how to get saved. And I finally put it together, the plan of salvation. Somebody tells me about Romans chapter 10. And I try to, I find out the Bible is not in alphabetical order, like a dictionary. And so it takes me a while to find Romans, but I finally find Romans. And as best I can, I understand that all I have to do is say that I want Jesus. And he'll come into my life. I started watching Christian television. Just because I felt led to. I didn't have to have anybody tell me, you must watch whatever and whatever. You know, like we do y'all sometimes. Go home, read your Bible. Nobody made me do anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, when you are seeking your Savior and you're seeking salvation, you know what to do. You are led by that drive that is within you that tells you this is where your life is and this is where you find living water. See, and thankfully, I didn't have any religion to mess me up because I needed too much of God's power to get involved with religion. Now, sometimes you just need God straight up 
You don't need man's interpretation of him. You don't need man's rules and regulations. You just need to find God for yourself. And that's what I needed. And so little bit by little bit, God began to open things up to me, began to open my understanding. And I decided that I was going to pray and ask God to please not let me have to get sick enough to go into the hospital. And the more I prayed that, the sicker I got. So that's where I wound up in the hospital. But part of what happened when I was there was that I began to understand that the human soul has to be trained the right way to respond to life the right way. And until that time, I hadn't really paid much attention to what I thought and how I thought it or anything like that. But I began to realize that over the years, I had developed a great deal of anger and bitterness and resentment. I had developed an attitude of, I can do it myself and I don't need anybody. And so I thought of being weak as the worst thing in the world. And I think that's why I just hit the bottom of weakness and had to have somebody teach me and train me all over again how to care for myself and how to not let my mind wander and how to uh, let myself have times where I could rest and not pace around so much. You understand what I'm saying? And God can meet you in places like that and know that and let you know that he loves you, he's right there with you, he cares for you. And see, these things are important. These experiences are important for you later because they're important at that time, but they're important for you later because you can get to the point with the persecution that comes against you as a Christian and the things that God will call you to do, you can get to the point where you feel totally abandoned by God. But then you can reach back and think, you know what? He was with me when I couldn't care for myself. He was with me when I was doing whatever I did. He was with me when I turned my back on him. He was with me all of these times. And see, we we don't want to think about that we don't want to be there but sometimes that's where we live and sometimes that's where the person sitting next to us lives and sometimes we need to be a little more understanding a little more compassionate a little less critical a little less demanding on other people just because it's easy to live there when you live in a sinful world and so as part of my treatment I was, of course, enrolled in several 12-step programs, seven-step programs, group therapy, couples therapy, every kind of therapy you could think of. And I always tell people, I said, I remember reading the story about the demoniac, you know, the guy who was at the tombs cutting himself and met Jesus one time. He was totally normal. And I used to ask God, why can't I be like that? Why can't I just have one encounter with you and be totally normal? Why wasn't I 100% healed in my mind when I confessed Christ? And see, I know now that sometimes you have to walk through things. Now, there are some things that God will bless you with and you can get totally instantly delivered. But sometimes it's good to know that you can walk through things. And it's good to know that it won't kill you to walk through things. And it's good to know because maybe you'll understand somebody else who is walking through. And you can have something comforting to give them because they're walking through just like you walked through one time. 
You see what I'm saying? And so when we, when we look at how God heals a soul and how God restores a soul, there's much to understand about how healing comes to a human soul. When a soul is broken down, that means that the burden of their life and the burden of sin has gotten overwhelming to them. And people react different ways to the burden of their lives. Some people will take it within themselves and and damage their own souls and be depressed. Some people will flee the situation. They can't handle it anymore. They just don't feel right in the marriage or they don't feel right in the relationship and they feel like they've got to bolt and move on. But see, God has healing and restoration for all of them. We don't condemn each other because of where we've been and how we react to the pressures of life. We just know that there is a Savior who knows how to help each and every one of us, whether we get it instantly or whether we walk through. There is a Savior who knows how to help us. And so God began to to give me understanding of how to endure patiently in trial. Because you've got to have that as a Christian. You can't have everything you want. You can't have instant manifestation of everything that you pray for. And you can't have everything that you desire when you desire it. And so God begins to show me that this is a walk. This is a day-to-day depending on me as part of how to get that relationship right between me and you. I must know that you trust only me in certain things if you're going to be my friend. And so I made up my mind that I was going to put everything else aside and just focus on God. Focus on what he was telling me. I, I, I had to fight the fear of not ever working again. I had to fight the fear of not ever getting out of my house again. I had to fight the fear of, of thinking that I might have to be on pills for the rest of my life. All of these fears you had to fight while you're trying to get well. And so I know that God is a help to people in the worst kind of danger. So when somebody comes up to me and says somebody is suicidal and, and they're off the deep end and can we pray, there is something that rises up in me that has a confidence that God won't let that happen. You see what I'm saying? It's good. It's good. Because, see, <clears throat> then I can be the kind of minister who doesn't have to send you to suicide prevention or, you know, take your name off the roll because we don't know how to handle your kind of problem. You see what I'm saying? And so then people who have that damaged soul can find refuge in a place like this. I just always call it a hospital. You know what I'm saying? Because we're all a little bit goofed up and damaged in some way. We've all been damaged by sin, some more than others in certain ways. But I just believe that God has to have a spiritual hospital for people who have been beaten up and bruised by life and maybe who haven't done everything right, maybe hit second, third, and fourth chances and mess up again. You understand what I'm saying? And so that has to be. That's what the church is called to be. And I think if you're one of those people who have been blessed by God to walk through some things only holding God's hand, then you can't deny where you've been. You see what I'm saying? When you see that person who's broken 
and you see that person who has this problem or that problem, you can't deny that you've been there too and God did that for you and you know God will do it for them. You know for certainty that that soul can be restored. You know for certainty that person won't end their life by their own hand. You see what I'm saying? And so God will reassure you of his power in all of those ways. And so little by little, God began to show me in the word that I was a new creature and that he could do things for me. And I remember walking with God in such a way that I forgot I was depressed. I forgot I had marriage problems, which I still had. You know what I'm saying? We were still in neutral corners, so to speak. But there was a place that I walked in in God even then where I didn't feel pain. I didn't feel rejection. I didn't feel hurt. And so I know for certainty that when you are in Christ, you don't have the awareness of all of these problems and the onslaught of the enemy like you would have, say, if you didn't have the Lord. See, we have a great advantage in Christ. We can choose to be offended and hurt and disappointed, or we can choose to be victorious, walk in joy, walk in peace, and walk with the Lord. The choice is always up to us. See, and I know this is a fact. I began to walk as a healed person long before I was healed. Because I would tell people sometimes how I felt, and they say, I look at you, I can't believe you feel like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because love covers. There's a love covering for each and every one of us to abide in. It covers all your sins, all your faults, all your, your uh, shortcomings. It covers all of those things. And so I began to understand that I could live the life by faith that God wanted me to live. I didn't know it was faith then. I just felt like I'm going to do the best I can every day for God and he's going to help me. And I began to understand that there were many things that I had picked up in my thinking that if I could learn to put them down, then I could rise up in a new awareness of who I was. And I could rise up in a strength in my mind that I could know that I was healed and I could know that I was better. And so along the way, God led me to a Pentecostal church. I had watched the 700 Club faithfully every day for about three or four years. I used to listen to Jimmy Swaggart preach until he started preaching that he, he, God told him that people of different races weren't supposed to intermarry. And so I had to turn him off because I knew that wasn't right. See what I'm saying? And so, you know, when you, when you hear things and you go as far as you can go with them, you need to graduate and move on to something else. And so I began to watch the 700 Club, and I would see people get miracles and get help and get all of these things. And every day I would touch the screen and want to be instantly healed, and I never was. And so I decided, well, I'm just going to have to walk this out some more with the Lord. And that's what I did every day. And so one day I was listening to them talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they offered a little booklet that taught you on it. And now let me explain to you, I could go out to a church, but I couldn't sit for very long. So I couldn't, like, go to a service. The fact that we have four-hour services and all-day services is a miracle in itself. Because years ago I could sit for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and I had to leave because of the anxiety. You know, you have to do what you have to do. 
But God saw my heart and I was reaching out for him. And so the 700 Club sent me this booklet on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God graced me to be able to go to this Pentecostal church. He showed me the church to go to. I went in. I sat for the whole service. I couldn't tell you what they preached. But at the end of the sermon, they had an altar call, and the Lord prompted me to go forward. And I got water baptized, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I spoke in tongues in one day. Never went back again. Now, that's not an indictment of going to church. (laughs) That's just where I was. See, when you're saved sovereignly by the star that shines brighter than the sun, you understand what I'm saying? And God touches you personally. He will tailor make your salvation. He'll tailor make your deliverance. He will tailor make your teaching. He will tailor make your training. He will tailor make everything to fit you. Why people go to church and try to act like everybody else, I don't know. You know, we put such pressure on people to conform. When we really just need to embrace them as another soul and praise God they came. And be glad that somebody else is not on the devil's side, at least for the day. You understand what I'm saying? At least we got them in here this time. And so after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I noticed that another light came on on the inside of me. Suddenly, I was aware of everything spiritual. And I could perceive things that I couldn't perceive before. I could understand things I couldn't understand before. And so the Bible began to take on new meaning for me. And somehow, I came into a different light of God. And I always ask God to explain to me what these different things are and how they relate. I'm just nosy like that, you know. And so God would always tell me, he said, hope is a gift. Hope is a gift. And one day I received the gift of hope. And I had not been the same since then. Because I can tell you that depressed people are hopeless people. They have lost the gift. That's why when you need to do something important, you need to choose people that you're around. You need to choose people who have a lot of joy and a lot of strength and a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement on the inside of them. Even if they have to bring correction to your life, they are doing it not to put you down but to elevate you, get the junk off of you so we can lift you higher in the spirit realm. And your inner man can start to take off and guide your life. And so I received the gift of hope through my interaction, not with Christian people, but with secular people. Because they need to have hope too. And the Lord began to show me, he said, if a person is hopeless, then there is nothing for their faith to work on. So hope usually is the first thing that God will give you to get you going. And hope maketh not ashamed. So if you are hoping for something, I don't care how outrageous it sounds, you will not be ashamed if you are hoping in God to help you bring that to pass. And little by little, the things that God began to give to me, the salvation, reading the Bible, watching Christian television, it began to put a new understanding and a new encouragement on the inside of me. 
That's why I tell people who, who whine and moan about things people say to them and it don't make me feel good. And I'm thinking, don't you know you got everything inside of you to encourage yourself in the Lord? Don't you know that you don't have to depend on what some other person decides they want to feed you in order to feel good about yourself? Don't you know you got everything you need on the inside of you to make it and to keep going strong and to get even stronger in what you're doing because of what God's... You are a self-contained machine, factory of blessings and goodness and light and understanding. You don't have to get mad at somebody because they make you feel a certain way. What nonsense for a child of God. You ought to know who you are. And if the devil tries to attack it and pull it down, you need to call something up from inside of you that's bigger than that. Because God's given us everything on the inside of us that we need to maintain this vessel. And so, and see, you'll learn this kind of stuff if you stay out of religion. Huh? And I share this just in this way just to let you know that God so hates religion, he didn't let me get involved in any of it, you know, until I was strong enough to say, well, that couldn't be true. Because I already know different. You see what I'm saying? God's already told me something different, and it's worked for me all these years, and so it's not true. You see? Peculiar people. There are peculiar people in this earth that God pulls out of the pit and then he begins to dress and groom and teach and train them in his own way. And I'm one of those people. Just because he made me one of these people. Not because I'm somebody special, but that's the road he choose, chose for me. See? So then the heavenly vision now has a chance of being fulfilled. Because hope is back. And hope really comes from God. And it's a gift we can give to one another. Hmm? Don't ever dash somebody's hope by pinning them down to worthlessness for the rest of their life. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care who it is. I don't care if they look totally worthless right now. Always give the gift of hope to people. Let them hope that they'll have peace with God. Let them hope that they can go to heaven. Let them hope that their life will be blessed. Let them hope that they can be healed. Let them hope for the good things, you see. Because if they have that then it's easy for God to train their mind, train their heart in faith, and they can start to see those things come to pass. And so with the gift of hope, I was able to go from watching Christian television, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues a little bit, and I decided one day that it was time for me to get rid of pills and therapy, all that stuff. I said, God, if you're going to heal me, I want to be healed all the way. I don't want to be a cripple for the rest of my life. And up until this time, the doctor wasn't sure what to do with me because he said I'd been on the pills for so long. If I got off of them, I might, he said, I would certainly go through withdrawal. And he said, if you relapse, I don't know what we're going to give you. He said, because these pills will damage your internal organs after a while. He said, you know, just resign yourself to you know, being a vegetable more or less. And so I remember talking to the Lord about it, and I said, God, you know, I don't think you want me to be a vegetable. I mean, if I need to be at home and just pray for you or something like that, I'm willing to do that, but I think you want me to be a normal, I don't want to be a vegetable, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? A normal vegetable, I guess, I don't know, but anyway, as normal as I was going to get. But uh, 
I remember talking to him about that. And so I told him, I said, you know what, God? I said, it sure would be nice if I can get off these pills. I said, if I can get off these pills, that pretty much means I'm healed if I can stay off of them. I said, but I'm scared about this withdrawal. I said, and the doctor doesn't know how he's going to take, them off of, take me off of them. So, God, you've got to show me how to get off the pills. If I'm ready to do it, just let me know. And at that time, I was getting a, a publication from Unity. You all know that's a cult, don't you? Well, you know the word of God's the word of God to somebody who don't know no better. And so I would get those daily word little booklets from them, and they always had scriptures at the bottom of them. And so I got those, and so I would read them every day, almost like a little horoscope thing, you know, see what the daily word has for me, as well as read my Bible and taking my pills and all my little routine. And so I remember reading it that day that I asked God. The scripture was Isaiah 55:11, And at that time I was taking about 70 milligrams of, of the medicine that I was taking every day. And when I read that, I interpreted that to mean 55 milligrams for 11 days and I'll be off. Right now, Isaiah 55, 11 is probably one of my favorite scriptures. Because I accepted that as a word of knowledge from God and that was instruction for me. And I took 55 milligrams of that medication for 11 days and got off with no withdrawal, no problems, didn't have a relapse, didn't have to go back on them again. Why? Because God is a God who keeps covenant and mercy. He is so merciful to us that he doesn't want to leave us without a help, without a Savior. He will never leave you without help. I don't care what kind of help you need. He is always there for you. And he showed me in just that simple way. That he was above the doctors. He had more knowledge in there. And he could work through their little stuff that they had in order to help me as well. You see? And so whatever it is, situation that you're in, God can meet you right there and pull you out of there. He knows how to touch where you are. And he knows the kind of help that you need. And so as I got off medication, I began to feel better. Of course, every day I looked, I checked myself to see how I was feeling. You see, because I lived like that for so long. And I thought, boy, if I don't make it this time, I don't know what's going to happen. And little bit by little bit, the days increased since I had had. You know, that's how I understand AA. You understand what I'm saying? I, I have a great appreciation for what they do for people to retrain their mind to give them hope to get something better. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't ever condemn people like that. Now, sometimes I'll get on Christians and still use it for a crutch, but... You know what I'm saying. You can move on from there into the grace of God more. And so as I began to walk free of all of these things, I began to get stronger in confidence that God would use me. I would still go to my little recovery meetings, you know, where you had to go through your little thing and talk about if you got upset because, the, you know, the sugar bowl was half empty. You know, I mean, these were big emergencies to nervous people. And so these were things that I had to learn to face everything as something trivial. You understand what I'm saying? It's not a big deal. You understand what I'm saying? You can't make an issue out of everything that you think is an issue because it's really not. It's what you make of it. See what I'm saying? 
Because there's an answer in God for everything. And so God taught me how to take the principles that they were teaching me and relate them to scripture so that they would stick and they would help me. And I could always grab for those things when I felt like I'm not sure. And every door that God opened for me after that, the enemy of fear, doubt, and depression stood at that door. And I can tell you that even recently, the same devils will come and try to tell me I can claim you back again. But I praise God that I walked through the things that I walked through. And so I know that God is always going to be there for me. He is the God who keeps covenant and mercy. He wants us to succeed. He wanted me to, to obey the heavenly vision. The one that he gave me way back when I was a small child and didn't know what he was talking about. He finally began to open that up to me and give me understanding of what he wanted me to do with my life. And so I can tell you, really, my life does not belong to me. Now, when people tell you things like, well, I can't quit this, honey, I can quit anything. You know, <laughs> I can quit it, I'm telling you. You know why? Because he bought my life. It doesn't belong to me anymore. I don't own my life. If God tells me to lay down my life for a friend or lay down my life for something, I'll do it. Because it doesn't belong to me anymore. What am I going to kick for? You understand what I'm saying? Where am I going to go with my rap sheet? Last time people in the world heard from me, I was in the nut house. And now I've been preaching for 20 years. You think I'm going somewhere? Where am I going to go? Where can I go with that kind of history, huh? And so I'm stuck in a good way in God. huh? And I know him to be faithful. I know him to be just. I know him to be a healer. I know him to be a restorer. And it's my desire to see you normal people. <laughs> who haven't been nuts, to walk in a wholeness in your soul. And I believe God's gifted me to understand soulish things and spiritual things as they relate to the soul. He's given me compassion with people to get them healed. Now, I'm not going to jump in a pity bag with you and feel sorry for you because you're nothing to feel sorry for yourself for. We're going to get up and get in God, and you're going to get yourself healed, and you're going to get your soul restored. You're going to get back what the devil took from you. You're going to be 100% whole. You're going to stop condemning yourself. Huh? You're going to stop hating other people and condemning other people because they're not like you. Or they don't treat you like you think you ought to be treated. You understand what I'm saying? We're going to be whole people and allow God to use us and move through us in a greater and greater dimension. So why don't we pray now? Praise the Lord. We're going to pray, and I'm going to pray for people at this altar. Because there are many of us who settle for halfway healing in our soul. And this is what the Lord has shown me. That many of us are halfway healed in our soul. Some of us still have way too many fears. Way too many doubts. Huh? You know, the, the, I was reading somewhere, <clears throat> after Aubrey died, I kind of felt like the first year I did pretty good. And then I was listening, I was uh, watching a program, and I'd started, I read an article about widows of September 11th. 
And there was one woman explained the same thing. She said, well, first year I didn't do so bad, she said, and the second year was worse than the first. And it's true. Second year is worse than the first. So, you know, <laughs> I got comfortable in year one. I thought, well, this is getting nothing but better here. And sure enough, it did get worse than the first. And I think the worst thing that, that people who have lost someone have to go through is the sense of not having control over your life. I know when I sold my house, it was so important that I didn't give it over to a realtor to sell for me. And the money was an issue because if I could sell it myself, I could save a lot of money. But it was an issue of I can control this. This is something they can't take from me. You understand what I'm saying? And so there are issues that we have sometimes that are strong issues until we get more healed and more into ourselves. And so if, and I'm sorry if y'all are feeling weepy, <laughs> you know, I don't mean to do that, but you know what I'm saying. I, I don't want to affect you like that, but sometimes it's like that. You understand what I'm saying? And so what I began to understand was that God would put me in certain, certain situations where I would have to face these control issues and just trust him like I did in the old days. You know, God, you can do this for me. I want you to do this for me. I don't have to control everything. I don't have to feel like everything's getting away from me. I can let things get away from me and not have to hold on to everything and try to, you know, be strong for everybody. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just need to let all of that go and let God have it so that he can minister to you and he can help you and he can heal you. And you can be what God wants you to be. And so I want that for you. I want that for you as well. Because if you don't have a history of mental illness, you're a pretty strong person. But don't let things hinder you, small things hinder you and cripple you the way they would a person who can't do any better. Because we can. Because God is there and he has put Christ inside of us. To help us. And Christ is our strength. 